Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Valspar Championship Research. First look and brief preview. If you're watching out there, smash the like button to the episode. In the comment section, please give me your early lean for this Valspar Championship and subscribe to Mayo Media Network. You want some more golf content, some more NFL draft content? It's all going to be up there this week week we have a ton there's already a ton of nfl draft stuff out already then the mock draft is coming out plus maybe some more football stuff throughout the week kentucky derby is this week which means we get raza and cam i mean if you just want to set your ringtone to you're gonna be looking good with the kentucky derby show that'll be out later this week plus the full complement of golf shows for the valspar championship listeners league link is in the description of this video and podcast. If you're listening to the audio version, subscribe, rate, and review five stars. That is the currency that we deal with in the podcasting world. So please help us out with at least a five-star rating. If you're feeling generous, a five-star review. The rating takes literally four seconds. It just, I mean, the, the most of the time is actually scrolling to the bottom of your iPhone when you're on the podcast page and just hitting five stars. But it is greatly appreciated. Plus, there's the free newsletter that I have in the description. Become a sub to that. I know, it's just everything compartmentalized in one place. And if I see something late on Wednesday evening that I haven't been able to say on the show, uh, you'll be able to get it in that newsletter. Plus, promos and giveaways and all that fun stuff, too. So subscribe to the newsletter. Tons of people have done it so far, so I recommend you get in on the action. Also, fantasynational.com com slash mayo will get you 20% off. My walkthrough today will be primarily on fantasynational.com. The best tools, the best stats, everything you need. The PGA Championship is coming up, and now we're out of a period where we have strokes gained for a lot of these courses, and when we talk about Copperhead, which we will this week, and then Quail Hollow, which I'm not sure if I'm doing the show yet or not. I'm moving, so it's going to be a bit tough for me to do, potentially. If I can get the uh, the internet situation figured out, my movers show up with my equipment, then hey, I'll be doing all the shows you could ever possibly want. But uh, it's courses that we did not see last year on the PGA Tour schedule, so using FantasyNational.com to dig back in is going to be a nice refresher for a lot of people out there. So go check that out, fantasynational.com slash mayo. Put the tools to good use now. Get ready for the major when there's a million dollars on the line. Seems pretty simple to me. Plus, with all these strokes gained events we have coming up, uh, the real-time stats, I mean, the Zurich is just like a complete write-off in terms of trying to parse what stats are. We weren't able to get them from Augusta because Augusta has those proprietary to themselves. But with all the upcoming tournaments, you know, the live leaderboard is going to be super key for in, li in live betting, for head-to-head -head each day if you want to play round-by-round, round, and of course, DraftKings Showdown and the weekend slate. All there for you, fantasynational.com slash mayo. Uh, me, Cust, and Tim got to Together, along with Elliot Chris. Elliot Chris gave out like serious stuff, but Tim, Jeff, and I talked about uh, NFL props and what they hope the Jets and Chargers do. That came out on Saturday morning. So go rewind after you watch this, of course, and smashing the like button and all that stuff to check out that show. Tim's got some takes primarily about Trevor Lawrence, which uh, include the CFL, which I was not prepared for. You think I'd be prepared for anything Tim has to say at this point, but not the case whatsoever. This one actually really surprised me. But let's jump into the field. We have 156 players in the field at the Valspar Championship. It is a completely full field event, and we did not see it on the schedule last year. The previous two times that we saw it, we had 
Paul Casey win both of those times. Minus 8 and minus 10 were the winning scores that year. Uh, I've had some nice runs at this tournament in the past. Obviously, one of the most successful betting weeks I ever had, and it was one that actually launched Matthew Wiley onto the scene uh, because we hit three gigantic winners all in the same week. So there was the Valspar, and this used to be played in early March. Now it's at the end of April. I kind of like it. I love this tournament. It's one of my favorite courses. Harbortown being number one, Valspar just behind. It's really tough. If they could ever play a U.S. Open here, it'd be kind of awesome because you could really deck this out. It's hard enough anyway, but if you put it in like USGA, U.S. Open style conditions, it'd be fucking impossible, uh, which I would be completely on board for. But Adam Hadwin won uh, 100 to 1 in 2017. Also hit Jim Herman, first round leader that year, at 125 to 1. And then Wiley, never heard of this guy before. You know, we were doing some back and forth on Twitter. He's like, SSP Chiroasia is the play at the Indian Hero Open. He was like 90 to 1. That won that week, too. Should have doubled them all together. Would have won like 50,000 bucks. I didn't, but I bet each of them separately. So that one paid off the year pretty quickly. Hopefully, we can get some good run at the Zurich this weekend, or at least over in Euro with Higo and Guido both in the mix. Guido, the 54-hole leader, but as it sticks out in my mind, I know this is not the case, but every time that I have a guy who is leading on the European tour after three rounds, they end up losing to some guy I've legit never heard of whose name I can't pronounce, and they lose in, like, the most devastating fashion possible, like a 70-foot eagle putt on 18 just to lose. It's like, good God, man, what happened? Although we ran pure on the Euro Tour last week with John Catlin at 70-1. to So having two guys in the mix is good. If one of these idiots that I bet on for the Zurich can at least go into the top five, you know, then we have some each-way doubles on the go. I'm hoping it's going to be Gim and Sue, but they may have fucked themselves over. All my guys just had a really devastating back nine Friday at the Zurich. It was only a 1% 6 of 6, by the way, at the Zurich Classic. And the 5 of 6 wasn't looking so good either. So if you have a good 5 of 6 with potentially the winner and maybe some top 5s, uh, you'll probably be in the money this week at the Zurich Classic on DraftKings. Good luck to all your bets out there. But like I mentioned, 156 players in the field. It's, it's a lot. Uh, the 6 of 6 percentage is going to be super low. It's not like there's new cut rules. It's still top 65, and ties end up making the cut. This is also the place when people say that Keegan Bradley or anyone can go full Keegan. Let's rewind to when he did that at the Valspar Championship. From first-round leader to missing the cut, the Keegan Bradley experience. Um, so maybe he's up for some redemption. We've had some nice runs here, too. Like, we had, um, I had M and Kokrak both 40-1 to 1 the year that Casey won the last time we saw this. All Kokrak had to do was get it up and down on 18 and make a par, just force the playoff. He actually had a really nice look on the 72nd hole to make his birdie and just conf- went full Jason Kokrak and just completely blew it. Uh, that was in the middle of his super hot run as well. But he's an interesting name to go back and look at this week. Uh, Hadwin has won here, like I mentioned. Charles Schwartzel, Jordan Spieth beat Patrick Reed and Sean O'Hare in a playoff. Uh, if you'll also remember the Paul Casey year that Tiger and Reed, the first year, ended up one stroke back. Corey Connors very much in the mix that season too. And Brant Snedeker. That was just a really fun tournament. When you have courses that are difficult like this, it actually creates some really good leaderboards at the top because it's just like a five-man race to the finish on Sunday. And really, that's all you want. Unless like you had bet on Stuart Sink at the Heritage, you're like, I don't want anyone within fucking 3,000 miles of this guy. I don't need anyone putting any pressure on. I want to coast to my 100 150 to 1 cash, 
And that's exactly what happened. Did not make for super entertaining television uh, or even following it along just because it was over so quickly once Morikawa took himself out of it. But we've seen a lot of closely contested Valspar championships. So I'm hoping that we get another good one on the go because the field itself is pretty good, to tell you the truth. Uh, Woodland's won here. Luke Donald's won here. He won like a... I think this was the six-man playoff that he ended up winning. I can't really remember. John, send in the clown. Send in the birdies that week. He won at minus seven. The, the best winner that we've seen was Hadwin at minus 14. He outdueled the resurgent Patrick Cantlay when Cantlay was just first back coming up. He had a nice finish at Pebble Beach, and then he did the same here. Hadwin was in the middle of a hot iron run. Uh, Hadwin's playing a little bit better right now, but the irons have not returned whatsoever, so be wary of someone like Adam Hadwin. But, I mean, this is the Paul Casey classic at this point. Yeah, Kokrak and Louie came second by shot back to Casey the last time we saw it, Reed and Woods. That was the year that Reed had a chance to win the tournament on the 18th hole, and he sent his birdie putt up, and it came back down the hill, and then he made bogey, and Paul Casey ended up winning. That's how Paul Casey had to backdoor his way into a championship. I look forward to going the entire week uh, talking myself out of playing Paul Casey, although he's probably a really good play, and then uh, he ends up winning for the third time in a row at this event. If we just jump over to fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself full access to the site and 20% off, you'll just see at the very top end of the field, you got Dustin Connors, JT, Hovland, Reed, Neiman, Kirk, Tringale, Henley, and Louie. Those are your top 10 in terms of strokes gained over the past 50 rounds. But just other notable names in the field, you got Hatton, M, Answer, and uh, Grio, who's been hot fire. Charlie Hoffman continues to play well. Kokrak's back in the field. You got your Gim Reaper, Scotty Scheffler, Casey, Lonto Palmer. What else do we got on the go here? Burns, uh, Mr. Keegan Bradley himself. He's back to face the demons. Johnny, uh, we haven't seen him in a while. Any other good names that are kind of buried? Charles Howe keeps having like good first rounds. Justin Rose is in the field. So is Bubba. Brennan Grace continues to lurk around. There's Hadwin, Kisner, Kevin Nah. Ian Poulter. Oh, our guy, Vince Whaley. This guy's not bad, to tell you the truth. Hey, Mackenzie Hughes, Alex Noren, Alan, Adam, sorry, Adam Long, Doc Redman, Ryan Moore, Danny Willett, K.H. Lee, Christoph Ventura. Maybe he'll get his full-time tour card if him and Vic can pull out the big win at the Zurich Classic this week. Here's Woodland. I want to dig into Woodland before we start a little bit. J.B. Holmes and Stenson, who... Pretty decent Masters, was doing really well with Justin Rose at the Zurich. I, since there's no stats to really take away from that, you have to wonder how much is Stenson, how much is Rose. But it's encouraging to see him have some life all of a sudden. Uh, Chez Reeve is playing. You also have Chase Kepka in the field. Keith Mitchell back on Bermuda. That's always nice to see. Cameron Champ. Oh, Rasmus Hogard, my guy. He's going to be in the field as well. Maybe he can do a little bit better than he did the Zurich this time around. Any big names hidden down here? Nah, that's about it. So that's the extent of the field itself. Those are the top names uh, that you're going to see near the top of the betting board. With Dustin around, I'm very interested to see what odds they put down with Dustin. There's a chance that Justin Thomas ends up being the betting favorite at this tournament. But Dustin just continues to lurk just a little bit. And where this is a 156-man field, it's not, you know... Uh, it's not going to be easy to win. And this field, you know, I mentioned the names at the top as well. They're all pretty good in that sense. 
However, uh, if Dustin starts hanging like at 12 or 13, all of a sudden you're getting, he was like eight to one to win the Masters. Then he's going to be like 13 or 12 to one or 14 to one to win the Valspar just because Justin Thomas is here. Corey Connors is going to be like 16 to one. Corey Connors and Dustin Johnson, the discrepancy between their odds coming into this week is just going to be outrageous. So uh, be very wary. I mean, this is, hey, the Corey Connors can't win. But when you're pricing him essentially much higher than Patrick Reed, which I fully expect, uh, be careful what you wish for in that. Patrick Reed is probably just the bet, uh, just kind of looking everything, taking a step back and looking at all these names. Reed's going to come in at like 22, 25 to 1, uh, double the odds of all the guys at the top, and you know he wins just as often as all of these guys. I'll get sucked back into Neiman, too. I like this field. It's going to be a fun event. Uh, Gary Woodland, just very quickly. How's he been doing? As you can see, he made the cut at the Masters. He chipped the shit out of the ball at Valero, but the ball striking was on point there. Actually gained a few strokes putting at the players. Ball striking elite. Uh, he's won this tournament before, and when we dig in, you'll see that ball striking is really kind of the key that you want to. Club down Gary is kind of the guy that you always want, so I'm curious to see what Woodland's odds are going to be. Um, I mean, with him, it's all about the putting. Can he actually gain on the greens? That's to be seen, but if it's a week where he does, he generally has a pretty good finish. J.B. Holmes, hey, you doing jb yeah it's not looking great for jb let's take a pass on him stenson 38th of the masters going to be in contention at the zurich gained on approach at valero so the putting getting a little bit better over time i can go dig in for the article and shows throughout the week to find out what his strokes gained were at the masters i don't have them off the top those are proprietary information numbers so but i have access to them so i will try to get those out to you if you have any questions about how people did at the Masters. And then you look at DJ. How did DJ do? Well, his approach game has been just god-awful recently. The putting has actually been bailing him out, but 5.1 strokes gained off the tee. Couldn't have picked a worse course to gain that many strokes off the tee, to be perfectly honest with you, than Harbortown, where driving doesn't mean everything in the world. But the fact that he got back up to that level is really encouraging to see. Now, of course, you want the irons to come along for the ride. Nice to see that the putter is running pretty well, but but as soon as he figures out his approaches, we know that the driving is back intact. And listen, I don't need to sell you on Dustin Johnson. He's the fucking number one player in the world. But I know that people are going to have hesitations about him coming in just based off his recent performance. So I don't think it's, I don't think he's a lock to win or anything like that. But if he figures out those irons, then everyone is going to be in a lot of trouble. As you know, I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food and realized I basically can't eat anything anymore, so I just started eating unhealthy foods again. But enter some Magic Spoon. Of course you know about Magic Spoon. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving, too. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And we've got some exciting news. Magic Spoon has released a super delicious new flavor, Birthday Cake. Sounds incredible. Birthday Cake Magic Spoon will be available in a special five-pack for a limited time only, so get it while you can. Or build your own box. Available flavors to build your own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. I would just get all fruity because it rules. And if you're listening from Canada where I listen from, Magic Spoon now ships there as well. Essentially, it's this. Magic Spoon is a great breakfast. It's a great snack. Whatever you want, it's just delicious. I come home after work. I'm not looking to carb up even before I eat dinner. But the kids are running around. I don't have 30 minutes to make something like super fresh in terms of like vegetables and all that. That's very time consuming. I got to watch the kids and I'm starving at this second. Magic Spoon. 
It works. It's delicious. Go get it. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab the new limited edition birthday cake or a custom bundle of cereal to try today. And be sure to use our code mayo, that is M-A-Y-O, for those of you who don't know how to spell mayo because you're morons, at checkout to save $5 off this order. This order is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code, that's mayo, at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. If you're a fellow whose resting body temperature rivals that of Las Vegas pavement in mid-July, standard antiperspirants probably don't give you much relief. But before you resign yourself to a life of perpetual pit stains, know this... Duke Cannon Dry Ice Cooling Antiperspirant is made for guys who run uncomfortably hot. Its moisture and friction-activated cooling system is formulated with menthol to give you an all-day sensation of standing under an air conditioner cranked to high, not a heat lamp, stuck on broil. Available in refreshing menthol and eucalyptus and peppermint and musk scents, Dry Ice uses activated charcoal to effectively combat sweat and stank. And with the highest level of odor and wetness protection allowable, you'll last longer in the heat, and your t-shirts will too. Dry Ice Cooling Antiperspirant, that's the menthol and eucalyptus, 2.6 ounces, $12 each. It has the menthol to deliver instant cooling with a distinctively fresh scent, enriched with activated charcoal to remove toxins while deodorizing moisture and friction-activated cooling system that keeps you cool in the highest, again, allowable sweat protection. Same goes for the peppermint and musk. 2.6 ounces, $12 each. If your internal thermostat feels like it's perpetually set to sauna, pick up a stick of Duke Cannon Dry Ice Cooling Antiperspirant. It'll feel as refreshing as jumping naked into a frigid lake without the risk of frostbite on your undercarriage. Visit DukeCannon.com and use promo code MAYO for 10% off your next order. Plus, get free shipping with orders over 20 bucks. A curated collection of Duke Cannon products are also available at select Target stores. Well, let's check out the past course conditions, the course breakdown, the recent results, and the tournament history from this course as you can see once again find all of this on fantasynational.com we got bermuda greens the greens are always firm hitting fairways always difficult uh, so accuracy can come into play a lot and scoring tends to be average too difficult over time it's a uh, it's not an easy track like i said when you can win at minus 10 minus 8 you know make your putts make good use of your irons and it's not to say that they, there aren't gettable holes on this course there there most definitely are if we check out the where is it? Where is the scorecard? Well, we'll flip over to the scorecard in a second. But uh, green speed fast as well, uh, generally speaking. Now, this is a different time of year than we've ever seen the Valspar before. It's now at the end of April as opposed to the beginning of March. So I don't know what sort of effect that's going to have on the green speed, the firmness, but I would expect it to play, you know, I mean, it's later on in the summer, things are a bit more dried out. Fast and firm sounds about as good as you're going to do. Uh, for Innisbrook Resort, uh, we can also 
take a quick gander over. Oh, I thought I had it pulled up. Oh, no, here's the official scorecard. 7,340 yards, par 71, is what we're looking at this year for the official 2021 scorecard. But if we go back and just kind of see, do we have any sort of leeway? Of course, there's the snake pit. That's always going to get you. As you can see, holes 16 through 18, the hardest, 7th hardest, and 6th hardest on the course. Oh, annually, so that's never great. So the wraparound format in terms of starting on the back nine for showdown purposes, probably not going to be great. Not going to see a whole lot of wraparound birdies. Number eight's tough. It used to have like three pretty moderate holes uh, from 9, 10, and 11. So the players that start on number 10, in rounds one and two, start their 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 front nine on the back nine. Seem to be at a bit of a less di- seem to be at a bit of a more disadvantaged than starting on hole number one because the nine, ten, eleven birdie streak is at least feasible. Gonna be super tough uh, if you try to go 17, 18, 1, 18, 1, 2. I mean, if you can sneak a birdie on eighteen, it's only an eleven percent rate. Then you're actually in pretty good condition because hole number one is the easiest hole on the course. Uh, it's a par five. You can make eagle on that hole if you're deep enough off the tee you can keep it in the short grass but a 40 percent birdie rate and you can see approach uh, amongst top 10 finishers uh, over two and a half to almost two and a half times what off the tee is around the green and off the tee tend to contribute a lot more again a lot like heritage this is an irons and putting course but you you know you can't lose off the tee you can't lose around the greens i mean you could probably lose on one of them if you make up for it on the greens i suppose but uh, it's sort of a more balanced course but you want to take your hot iron players as you can see if you just shrink that down to top five finishers approach and putting tend to equalize themselves out a little bit more uh, Uh, in terms of being far more influential than anything else, then about half of that, a little less than half, you have off the tee and around the green. Par fives, you need guys that can score on par fives here. Those are the easy holes. That's where you have to get your birdies. And when you're at a minus eight, minus nine, minus 10 type of course, unless you're just going to go absolutely hog wild on the par threes, which I guess is, I guess, reasonable. Let's see. The the par, oh, that whole stuff. Uh, where's the first par three? That's easy. That par three is easy. This one's tough. That's number eight. Number 13, very tough. And number 17, very tough. So if you're going to do your par three scoring, you're probably going to be doing it on hole number four, where there is a 13.2% birdie rate. Not that bad, but that's still the 13th easiest hole, or the, I guess, the 13th most difficult, fifth easiest or sixth easiest. You never remember the the minor. Anyway, it's on the easier side. Put it that way. Uh, you can actually, if put it this way, if your guys aren't like one under, two under through five holes, if they start on the front, you're about to be in a whole lot of hurt because three of the easiest holes right away are within the first five holes. So if you know they're coming out of there at like plus one, uh, probably not a good sign for the rest of the round going forward. The whole composition, you have these short par fours. There are seven of them on the card. The par fives are shorter. Oh yeah, is this the course? It is too. Yeah, there's totally forgot about this. I should have mentioned this right off the hop. There are five par threes at this course and a full complement of the four par fives uh, that you can kind of go after. You can see the eagle rate not very high on any of the par fives. They are the four easiest holes on the courses, however. Uh, If you can birdie three of them in a round or maybe sneak in an eagle, then you're looking pretty good when it comes down to it. No drivable par fours on the course. Uh, In the par threes, you know, two of them are pretty deep. Three of them, I mean, the shortest one is at 172, so that that's going to be difficult either way. Uh, just try to tread some water on the ones over 200 yards. There is a par four that is 378, 396, and then you have 411, 424, 425, 426, 438, 445. You don't really have any of the long ones. Let's see if they've actually 
increase them. So yeah, one of the shorter ones is 455 now, 465 now. And that's still going in 475, number 16. So they've lengthened number 16 over time. Where's number 16 here? Yeah, it was 445, now 475. So there's a bit more discrepancy. So we had seven that were between 400 and 450. I think that's down to five now, and two of them, two or three of them get bumped up, and one of the 300 ones gets bumped up as well. As you can see, the average shot distribution over time, uh, the plurality of the approach shots are going to come from 175 to 200. Uh, but not a lot of short wedges on here, like 17%, 125 to 150, uh, 11% from 100 to 125. Then you got your scrambling ranges, 75 to 100, or even your third shots on par fives, and then zero to 75, 4.3. Not going to happen very often. You're looking at between 150 uh, plus this week, where depending on the driving distance of the player, that you're going to want to focus in on different ranges. Driving accuracy a bit below average, green and regulation a bit below average scrambling is a little bit higher three putts per round about even to tour average driving distance way lower because of the trees because of the rough uh, and because of some of the not necessarily forced layups but you do want to improve your accuracy because it's so vital to be in the fairway that you're going to see some of the bombers club down a little bit so it takes away from their very high end driving distance let's go back and look over time and see how it was done you got Paul Casey, like I mentioned, was the winner here in 2019. He also won in 2018. Kokrak, Louis, Sungjae, and Bubba were the top five. Then you have Armour, DJ, Cook, Donald. Gee, that must have been the last Luke Donald finish. Denny McCarthy, oh, hi, Denny. And Scott Stallings rounded up the top ten. Lucas Glover is actually playing pretty well coming in this event. And he's got Ch Chuck Hoffman, T18, as a T11 at that. It's surrounded by three missed cuts as well. But... Denny McCarthy coming in playing well. Lucas Clover, T to Green coming in playing very well. At least in my mind, that's the case. I think they kind of folded a little bit at Heritage. But yeah, fourth at Valero, great off the tee, great on approach, great off the tee at Heritage. Kind of lost it a little bit on approach. But strangely for Lucas Clover, he's gained strokes putting in four consecutive events. Not really likely to happen based on his career, but it's nice to see that that's kind of going for him at the moment. Uh, Valspar in his career, 13th, 74th, 18th, past three starts, miscut, 24th, miscut. So uh, a decent week to maybe jump on to Lucas Glover, not necessarily to win, mind you, but something like a top 20, top 10 bet, DK play, depending on the pricing. Paul Casey, Patrick Reed are one and two of players who are in this field. Obviously, Louie also tied for second that year. I'm sorry, Tiger tied for second that year. Uh, and he is obviously not playing. Patrick Reed, three top tens at this event over his past five. Missed the cut the last time that he was here. The other guys inside the top ten of the first Paul Casey year, Reed, Sabatini, Rose, Kokrak, Grace, and that was it. Sam Burns, Hadwin, and Steve Stricker, along with Sean O'Hare. And then there was Louie. Uh, Louis in the field. He actually has three top 20s in his past three starts at this event. Oh, the Mexican AI, Abe Answer, in his one start T16. Interesting to see. See, Con Corey Connors kind of got himself out of it that year. He finished T16, but I think he was in the final group or the second to final group. I think he played with Tiger that day, out of all people. I just I remember watching a lot of that one. Oh, there's my guy, Ryan Palmer, T28, T42. Okay. Okay, here we're looking at the year Hadwin won. Cantlay was in second. Herminator was in third. Um, then Charles Stenson. Charles actually had a nice run here uh, for those two years. He had a win and a sixth-place finish. Stenson used to be kind of like the primary guy that you would look at at this course. I just don't know if his game is back up to those levels as of yet. Keith Mitchell, a short Bermuda track course. Those are 
kind of his jam. T11 in his only career start at this course. You go back in time, Ryan Moore had two top fives in 2015 and 2016. There's Reed, uh, the T2, T7, and T2, along with the T38 and the miscut. Charles Howell, two top 10s at this course over time. Kokrak, three top 10 finishes the past five years, including two of the past two. Stallings with the top 10. Sean O'Hare has two top 15 finishes in his past four starts. Who else is looking good here that maybe we might not realize? JT, he's actually gotten progressively worse at this event over time. Top T10, T18, and miscut. Casey back-to-back, of course. First time he played it. I don't know if it was ever, but at least in ages coming into it. Sabatini, two top 20s the past two events at this course. Uh, Three in a row, top 16s for Louie. Who else we see in here with maybe some decent track record? Now, then there's just a lot of newbies into the field. If we look at overall strokes gained, Rod Perry, not great, pal. Minus 40 strokes. <laughs> That's only in two rounds each because he missed the cut each of the times. And then we have, let's see, Stenson has the most strokes gained total of any player in the field at this course the past five times. Then Reed, Moore, Casey, and Chuck Schwartzel. Now, Casey did that in two starts, so pretty impressive. His strokes gain total per start much higher than everyone else's because he's looking at 12 per start then you have Kokrak, Louis O'Hare, Howell and Rory Sabatini then Duff Daddy, Johnny uh, the man of many question marks Steve Stricker, Hadwin, Lovemark, Knox, Elmale, Justin Thomas, Sammy Burns maybe Sammy Burns can keep the good times going like we were seeing early on in the Zurich Russell Henley up there as well wouldn't not going to continue to sleep on Russell Henley he's going to come in like 50 to 1 and that's going to be a good number but look at that approach number at the heritage back to back top 10s maybe we won't get a good number for him and what's his like overall career at the Valspar Got to start spelling that correctly. Valspar, 42nd, 9th, and miscut in three starts. Coming in, playing some pretty good golf. So I think that's a pretty decent uh, refresher. Let's see how they actually did it in terms of strokes gained the last time around. Uh, we saw in 2019, obviously, Paul Casey, just very good across the board. Only gained 0.4 strokes putting, but good off the tee, good on approach, good around the greens. Not the best in any one of those, but just overall tee to green metrics, 11.3. You can see like Louis gained a bunch of off the tee, didn't really gain, lost a bunch on approach, gained a bunch on the greens. Uh, Kokrak lost a bunch around the greens. That's how he lost. Uh, but the putting has been really turned around. I might actually just bet Jason Kokrak, even if he's like 28 to 1 or something like that. He was 40 to 1 last time. This field is stronger this time around. How are Sungjae's irons at the Heritage? Anyway, strokes gained tee to green last time we saw it. Casey, Armour, Glover, the glove, M, and Stenson, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And that all three. Four of those five gained across the board in the tee to green metrics. Bubba uh, was next. He lost on approach. Stenson lost around the greens. Knox lost around the greens. Louis lost on approach. But you can see that's a pretty big gap between Casey and everyone else. Uh, 11.3 to Armour, who is in second place at 9.8. Approach leaders that week, Stenson, Knox, John Stephanie. Good God. Alex, check your head. And Kevin Kisner, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, weren't able to really put it all together. Then you had Furek, Casey, Kevin Tway, who missed the cut, Armour, Stewart, Sungjae, and then Kokrak. Rafa Cabrera-Bayo, who seems to be turning it around a little bit. Oh, there's Neiman. Neiman gained off the tee, less than he normally does. How has he been lately? I feel like it's not been good. Gained a bunch on approach, couldn't putt, couldn't chip, and that is par for the course. Okay, so here we go. At the Heritage... Sungjae looking pretty good here. 2.5 off the tee, 2.5 on approach. That's been the big thing with Sungjae. The around the green game has been bad. And then the iron game has been bad. But it's nice to see him spike an event like this coming off a miscut at the Masters. 
3.5 strokes gained off the tee is his second most of the year and most since he came fifth at the opening event of the Tournament of Champions when he gained 5.2. And even before that, you would have to go back to the U.S. Open when he came 22nd last year and then the Tour Championship when he came 11th to see him gain that many strokes with his irons. But generally when he starts off and gets himself going with some good strokes gained approach numbers, he's got them for a bit. And the strokes gained off the tee have been immaculate all season long. So continue the hot putter. You don't need to gain the 7.6. Just gain the 2.2. Don't kill yourself around the greens. And Sungjae back on the right. Or I might just copy my card from last time, the last time this was here. Let's see. Joaquin Neiman. Yeah, the ball striking continues to be there. That is... I bet on him to win the Honda. I actually really liked him that week. And by all of the numbers, it looked like he had a good week. He came T25, but minus 5.1 strokes lost around the greens. That might be the second most of his career. His most was at St. Jude last year. But while he can be this bad on the greens, or around the greens, sorry, that's not a typical performance. As you can see, you know he was about break-even at the players, and before that, gain, 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 gain. So I'm not too worried that the chipping problems are going to continue to rear their ugly heads. The putting has been really nice, too, and that's like on Bermuda or even overseeded Bermuda, which plays more like POA but he's not doing this guy again, like from the Sony this year when he lost seven strokes putting. That was Sony last year, sorry, when he came 57th. He came second this year. Like at Travelers, minus 6.3 after the restart. Memorial, minus 5.7. Like you you hope not to get one of those weeks, but you don't need the 8.8 like when he won the Greenbrier. Something in like the 2.4, 2.53 range. And, you know, he's the type of player that ball strikes well enough that that could be good enough to keep himself going here. Let's go back to, let's go to 2018 to see if there's any more sort of outliers. Let's just sort by T to green, see how it was done. Sergio, Reed, and Tiger, one, two, three on the T to green board. They came one through fourth, second, second on the leaderboard. Then it was Hadwin, then Paul Casey, who actually lost strokes off the T that year, but still won, putted the lights out, unlike in his second win, gained a whole bunch off the T, but the approaches are really the common theme here between these guys. Reed first. That's always encouraging to see whenever Patrick Reed can be up that high. Then J.B. Holmes, Blaine Berber. There's a throwback. Stuart Sink, our guy. Uh, Sergio, Garrigus, Tiger, Casey, Abe Answer. So you're looking for your approach players. Can you ride a hot putter? But overall, you for a safer type of play, you probably just want to lean T to green overall and hope guys can really do it that way. Um, across the board in their tee to green metrics. But that's going to really do it for me. I didn't play any of the big DraftKings contests. I've actually played very few DraftKings contests this week. And it's probably a good thing I did. 1% 6 to 6. It would have been a really good week to go ultra contrarian. Keep that in the back of your mind for next year for the Zurich. Just take the biggest losers at the bottom and try to pair them up with like the three teams you actually feel good about and then try not to be as wrong as possible. I have a 5 of 6 that's like looking really good in the big $10 though. So maybe I can win some of my money back with that one. Maybe I can still continue to cash in the PME as well. So uh, thank you all for watching. Remember to subscribe and become a member to fantasynational.com, fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself 20% off. Join the listeners league link, smash the like, check out all of the NFL draft content that's up there right now. And uh, if you haven't, if you want to bet on the Oscars, we have two Oscars betting show that are still good until Sunday evening. So if you want to try some winning some cash at that, go ahead. I've been better off betting on like these weird side events than I have on golf recently. So hopefully we get some good news out of Euro and Zurich. We can turn this ship around going into the summer. Thank you all for watching. Let me know if you have any huge wins at Zurich or over at Euro. Always love seeing 
people who end up with big scores, you know, warms my heart. Because, you know, if I'm going to lose, I hope one of you guys can win, all right? We'll be back on Monday with Feinberg going over the bets and then DraftKings on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday this week. I'm not quite sure I'm going to parse those out. Probably on Tuesday, though, for the DraftKings. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!